Peace and blessings be upon you. Welcome to the Ta'lif Podcast, a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community, love, service, and prophetic wisdom. What we normally do is we review Imam Ghazali's book, O Son. In this book, Imam Ghazali cites a story about Imam Junaid al-Baghdadi, who when people talk about people of inward spirituality, he is always mentioned as one of the forerunners, one of the salaf of that tradition. This was Imam Junaid. Somebody, and he had a majlis, he had a circle. And they would talk about all kinds of asrar, the secrets, the things that regular Muslims don't know, you know, that kind of stuff, right? The secrets. Someone saw him after his death and they said, yeah, Imam, what did you learn of the secrets? And he said, well, none of that benefited us at all. The only thing that helped us was a few units of prayer that we would make in the middle of the night, right? So Imam Ghazali says, The other thing that I want you to take from this, and this is just a little bit of a critical analysis of Imam Ghazali. Imam Ghazali, at this time in his life, his faith was saved by tasawwuf. In Munkid Min al-Dalal, he's telling you, Al-Munkid Min al-Dalal, He's telling you unapologetically, it is spending time with Sufis that saved my Iman. But he is still willing to be self-critical. See, the best and the most sincere people are people that expose themselves and their traditions to criticism. So even when Imam Ghazali, himself a Sufi, Imam Ghazali at this point in his life, he's writing as a Sufi. And he's telling you, do not be deceived. Do not be misled by these exaggerated, crazy statements of Sufis. Like, watch out, right? What kind of sincerity is that? That a person could join a movement, wasn't really a, an organization or a group, but still, when they're wrong, they're wrong. When they exaggerate, they exaggerate. When they go too far, they go too far, right? And this is even, so when Imam Ghazali is telling you, hey man, some of this stuff can go too far. Take that as law. That means some of this stuff can really go too far. So you will find certain people that are critical of these turuk and these traditions, and usually, they're offering you very real experiences that someone in their family had, or maybe even they had, that they're just like, yo, man, this stuff can go too far. This stuff, this stuff can go too far. And some of us, we immediately become defensive. What are you talking about? I said, Imam Ghazali said that some of these things go too far. Imam Ghazali said that. The Prophet wasallam said in an authentic hadith, you are forbidden from exaggerating, from going too far in your religion. That means there is a such thing as too much religion. 
there is a such thing as bad spirituality. Like what? There is a such thing. And this is why it is very important for us to adhere to the path and the way of women and men that embody good spirituality. Because here, even Ghazali is telling you, beware of bad spirituality. Right? Beware of bad spirituality. He continues, because realizing this spiritual path is only done with hard work. It's not about sitting around offering abstruse, fancy statements. That won't get you anything. That actually won't make you closer to Allah. You know, once I was sitting uh, in Yemen. And none of the teachers were there, but some of the students were having one of those sessions. One of those, can your sheikh top my sheikh sessions. Every time somebody told a story, and it was a really tripped out kind of one-upsmanship, somebody else told a more unbelievable story. Until we finally got to, I mean, the first story was once my sheikh was in Indonesia. He was walking down the street. A lion escaped from the zoo. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm like, one eye open, one eye closed. A lion escaped from the zoo. Everybody was afraid. My sheikh said, Bismillah. Here, kitty, kitty. Grabbed the lion by the ear and just walked him back into his cage. I said, MashaAllah. And one person said, that's nothing. That's nothing. One night I was walking home from the Mawlid. I looked up at the dome of the masjid and I saw my sheikh levitating over the dome of the masjid. And I'm crazy enough to ask, did you look at him? He said, yeah, I looked right at him. He looked back at you, he looked right at me. What did he say? He said, salam alaykum. <laughs> I said, I said, subhanallah. Subhanallah. Now mind you, Mind you, in terms of our aqidah, all of these things exist within the realm of the mumkinat. Possible. It's mumkin. Mumkinat. It's possible. You don't, you know, one of the things that people, and this is a technical point, you don't have to affirm or reject any of this. If somebody tells you something like that, you don't have to reject it. No, that didn't happen. But you don't have to affirm it. It must have happened. I wasn't there, mashallah. But things like that, karamat, they certainly do happen, right? And then somebody else said, your sheikh flew over the masjid. Oh, that's nothing. Once my sheikh was, I told my sheikh, he was going to make Umrah. After he was going to make Umrah, he was going to visit the Prophet I told him, send my salam to the Prophet So when he was there in front of the Prophet he teleported to New York City, said to me, what do you want to say to the Prophet? He was in body in New York and he was in Medina at the same time. I told him, tell the Prophet this. He said, okay. And then he went back to Medina. Right? Munkin, huh? Munkin. At this point, one of the teachers came out as we were sitting around doing this way after Isha. It's late in the night. Why don't you guys stop telling so many stories 
and let your stories tell you. These people that you're telling stories about, I guarantee if they did any of those things, they didn't do it because they stayed up at night telling stories. They stayed up at night praying. They stayed up at night reading the Mus'haf. They stayed up at night making dhikr. They stayed up at night making tadabbur, making tafakkur. They didn't do this. So do you want to tell stories or do you want to be one of the characters of your stories? We all looked at each other like, I'm going to get some rest, man. <laughs> right? But Imam Ghazali says, This will only happen with hard work. At Tetlif, my brother, Usama Kanan, Allah he used to say, hard work is hard work. Right? If you really want to go to the places that you're insecure, you want to go to the places that you really struggle. You think extricating some of that stuff is going to be flowery? No, it's not going to be flowery. I'm telling you, it's going to be mujahada. It's going to be difficult because we often have to go underneath the surface. We have to go really, really deep. Sometimes we have to go back to defining moments and experiences from 25, 30 years ago. And you're like, why am I so stingy? And then you have to go back. It's because I grew up in a situation in which there was food insecurity. And so my ability to really have tawakkul, to really give and know that Allah will give me back what I gave, it's very hard for me because I experienced poverty growing up. You think that's easy? You think that's easy? No. It only happens with struggle. You know, Imam Ghazal, Imam Ibn Al-Ta'illah, he said, people think the spiritual path is exciting. <laughs> they think it's exciting. That, you know, you take the path and everywhere you go, people are burning bukhur. You take the path and you're just sitting and these, you know, of course, whenever we take the path, we have to sit somewhere that has Andalusian-themed decor. We all have to wear hooded jalabas. We get to sit with people that have mastered the Western tradition, the Eastern tradition, and it's very, very romantic. And oh my God. No. Ibn Ta'ala it's like licking a dry stone. This is what the path is like. And if you aren't experiencing that, mm, man, this is demanding then maybe you aren't going to where you need to go to really experience the path, right? This is a struggle. You know, one thing I wish we had more of is I wish we had more of the stories of the, the struggles of the companions of the Prophet And I think that among Sunnis, there was so much historical emphasis on the heroic uh, uh, nature of these people that we never really learn about their stories. We just learn about them as heroes. And there's a, there's a very clear historical reason that Sunnis decided to catalog the history of the companions in that way. But if you are a perceptive reader, you're thinking there's no way they just took Shahada and they just became like that. Like Omar just took Shahada and then right away, 
No, no, no. It, it's, a, it's a process. Sayyidina Hamza, radiallahu anhu, he was an alcoholic. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari, he was a stick-up man. He was a highway robber. Right? I mean, these are, these are real stories. Nu'iman was an alcoholic. Sayyidina Omar himself, he said he was a domestic abuser. He was someone that committed female infanticide. And they became what they became. What is that process? That is what the Imam is talking about. That's the mujahada. Now, the beautiful thing about our religious tradition is that we believe that if you exert yourself, Allah will give you tawfiq and take you to places that you didn't even know imaginable in your development, in your spiritual cultivation. He says, he says, and you have to break your desire. You know, the in inward cultivation is always reflected by outward cultivation. So if somebody wants to get in shape, at the end of the day, it's going to involve some regimented diet and some movement. That's just the, that's just the name of the game. Now, there's all different kinds of regimented, you know, diet. Could be Atkins, could be keto. But at some point, you're going to have to restrict yourself from eating certain things. And at some point, could be your portion sizes, whatever. Could be your portion sizes, whatever. And at some point, you're going to have to commit to some kind of movement. Could be doing the stairs, could be taking a walk something. There's no of anyone that tells you there's something else. They're not telling you that. You got Yusuf Hillier. Subhanallah. MashaAllah. Oh, I look, I, I look, I look at your son. I'm like, wait a minute. How are you, Habib? Let me see your smile. I know, I know, I know, I know I care for you. I know I care for you. Put, okay, put your mask on. I saw it. I know I care for you. Masha, it's good to see you, man. Allah it's good to see you. Alhamdulillah. At some point, if you want to get in shape, this is what it's going to be. Similarly, Imam Ghazali is saying it's qat'i shahwa. If you want to refine yourself spiritually, at some point it will involve self-denial. So Imam Ghazali is saying, if someone is telling you that the path is not about self-denial. It's not about discipline. It's not about the remembrance of God, but rather just sit around rehearsing these abstruse phrases. Just sit around telling stories about the people of the past. And then, you know, you'll experience some spiritual elevation. They're not telling you the truth. He said that, Know that an unrestrained tongue and a calloused heart filled with ghafla and shahwa, heedlessness and desire, this is a sign that you have been forsaken by God. The first thing he mentions, just a careless tongue. One of the signs 
of spiritual deprivation is that you have no discipline in what you say. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, Al-Muslimu man salim al-Muslimuna min lisanihi wa yadi. That the true Muslim is the one from whom other Muslims are safe from their tongue and their hand. In another riwayah, Al-Muslimu man salim al-Nasu min lisanihi wa yadi. The true Muslim is the one from whom people are safe from their tongue and their hand. That you don't slander people, that you don't intentionally offend people, that you don't gossip about people, that you don't strike people, that you don't push people. This is what it means to be a Muslim. The Prophet ﷺ said, this is the essential definition of your Islam. People feel safe. They know this is not somebody that's going to talk about people behind their backs. This is not someone that's going to strike, that's going to lash out and strike somebody. This is not somebody that's going to gossip about people. Right? Then he says, When the heart is calloused. And filled with unrestrained, undisciplined passion and heedlessness. He says, if your heart is in that condition, you will not, he literally says here, kill yourself. He said, the only way a person doesn't seek that kind of purification is if the heart is calloused. If the heart is hardened. And he says, if your heart is in that state, you will never bring your heart to life with the light of direct divine knowledge. You know, theology is cool, man. I, I like studying theology, right? You can study the proofs of God, study the attributes, the names of God. Very important. But I want you to know this. If you take nothing else from this lesson, there is a point at which none of that really, how can I, is necessary. There is a point at which those things become absolutely superfluous. You know, it's like, Somebody wanting to understand love, but never having been in love, they're reading the best poetry they can get their hands on. You could say to them, you know, if you ever fall in love, all of the poetry will be unnecessary. You will become the poetry, right? Kind of tapping into my inner poet right there. You will be, if you ever fall in love, you will become the poetry. Even Ghazali is saying here, if you give yourself to self-purification, you won't need aqidah or kalam. You will have ma'arifah. You will have direct experiential knowledge of the divine. At that point, a man or a woman becomes arif or arifah billah. Meaning, 
How do I know God exists? And then you look the person squarely in their eyes and you say, because I know. And Imam Ghazali is about to talk about that. He says, this is my favorite part of the reflection. Wa'alam and know. Ba'da masailika allati sa'altani anha la yastaqimu jawabuhu bil kitaba wal qawl bel in tablugh tilka al halata ta'arif ma hiya. The Imam says, and no. The Imam says, and no. Some of the questions that you've asked me about, the answers to them are not suitable to be written. Writing is not suitable to convey the answers to them. Some of the things you want to know, I can't, I can't write them down to tell you. And I can't speak about them. Bell. In if you arrive, tilka halata, ta'arif mahia. If you arrive to that station, you will know. You will know. Whenever I think about this mas'ala, I always think about faith being like love. If somebody was a reductionist and they told you it's just a chemical reaction in the brain. It's just increased dopamine, serotonin levels, the release of endorphins upon contact, etc. But there's no real metaphysical reality to love. It's just, it's a chemical reaction. That's all it really is. The only thing you could tell them is what? To quote Pusha T, if you know, you know. <laughs> if you know, you know. You know, is you, I can't, Imam Ghazali is saying, look, some of this stuff, I can't, I can't write to you about it. Oh, the Caldwell boys. MashaAllah. He says, li listen, listen to the analogy he uses. And this is a little bit mature, but we'll, we'll use coded language. We'll be, we'll be. We'll use coded language because the subject matter is a little bit mature. He says, The knowledge of these things, it, it's, I, can't, I can't convey that. It's impossible. He says, Because this is something that must be tasted. لا يستقيم وصفه بالقول كحلاوة الحلو ومرارة المر لا تعرف إلا بذوق. He said, like the sweetness of something sweet or the bitterness of something sour, they can't be described. They can only be experienced. You know, if you were to describe to someone what is sweetness, and they didn't have an active taste of smell i mean a taste of active taste an active sense of taste how could you how could you describe that to them it's it's like uh I, just you, you can't do it so here imam ghazali says kama hukiya anna rajul anna aniyan 
mature, mature topic. كتب إلى صاحب له عرفني لذة المجامعة كيف تكون He said there was a man who was impotent. He was incapable of engaging in Congress. I'm speaking in coded language here. And he said that this man wrote to his friend, describe for me that, that moment of climax. What, how is it? How, how, how is that moment? No, He said, oh, my friend, I knew that you were a man incapable of having a physical relationship. I knew that about you. Now that you've asked me this, I know that you're a man incapable of having a physical relationship and you're not very intelligent. And, and you're not very intelligent. He says, This experience is a taste. He's saying there is, a, there is a place that we can go in our worship of God that is similarly, it's a taste. I can't describe it to you. It's a taste. It's a taste. The only way that we could describe it is through the worldly pleasure that we're accustomed to, but it's more, it's more than that. And the same thing is true even of heaven, right? My daughter was taken over by cute kids. But I'll, I'll deal with that though, mashallah. He said, even when we try to describe the pleasures and the enjoyments of heaven, we're, we're, we're merely describing them by way of analogy. It's kind of like this and it's kind of like that. But it's reality. The description does not arrive to what it really is. It's more than that. He says, In tasil ilayha ta'arif wa illa la yastaqimu wasfuha bin qawli wal kitaba. If you arrive to that place of worshiping God, you will know what it is. If you don't arrive there, speech and writing will never be able to encompass what it really is. So as we conclude, like we're winding down for Maghrib, as we conclude, it's important to remember that the Messenger of Allah, وسلم, the companions, And the best women and the best men that have lived, breathed, and embodied this tradition, they have had that experience of direct knowledge of God. The best people that lived and embodied this tradition, they were having an experience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
right? It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't just verbal gymnastics. It wasn't just theological treaties. It was something that they knew because they knew. And we should have a similar intention that this is what we, this is what we want to taste. This is what we're striving for, you know? And it's mentioned uh, throughout the Quran, these different, even like physiological responses to worshiping God. Wajilat kulubuhum, right? There, 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 there's a kind of, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a feeling that they have, right? That feeling cannot be dislodged. It's something very real. And again, the only thing I can liken it to is love. For those of you that have experienced any kind of very deep love, whether it's romantic or platonic, it's a very deep thing. And when you know, you know. It's like, at what point did you know you wanted to spend the rest of your life with this person? And they just, you know, interestingly enough, you know, once Sayyidah Aisha, anha, she asked the Prophet, she said, how is your love for me? How is your love for me? And he said, my love for you is like a firm knot that cannot be untied. Right? And sometimes she would see him and say, how, how's, that, how, how's that not doing? And he would say, Ala halatiha, like it always is. Favorite, you know, the same way, it's, it's a knot. But some people say, look at her wisdom. She didn't say, why do you love me? Because if you ask anybody that, you will find them tongue-tied. Why do you love me? Uh, or whatever they say, it won't be a satisfactory answer. You'll be like, that's why you love me? Okay, I wish I wouldn't have asked. Because I was imagining something better than that. How is your love for me? Ah, very wise. It's firm. And the Prophet ﷺ described it with firmness. My love for you is firm. But trying to describe what, why do you love me? It, it, it's something you know from experience. When did you know you loved me? Make up something quick. It's something you know. Imam Ghazali is saying, worshiping Allah and experiencing ma'rifah, irfan, that direct experience of the divine, it's something you know. He's telling his student, I can't really write to you about it. I can't really describe it to you. You just have to get there. Thank you for tuning in. Please consider becoming a monthly sustainer by joining 1,000 Hearts of Ta'lif and committing to give $3 a day to keep this work coming to seekers, youth, and newcomers to Islam. Sign up today at www.ta'leefcollective.org forward slash donate. We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.